2: To the Mindset Playground. Whether you're thinking about starting your own business or just looking to become inspired, award winning entrepreneur Lou Ann Hunt is here putting into practice what she teaches every day. She's a certified Canfield trainer in the success principles and diabetes prevention program lifestyle coach. So please welcome the host of the Mindset Playground, Lou Ann Hunt.
3: Good morning, everyone! Welcome to the Mindset Playground, where you will get your daily dose of positivity. And I'm your host, Luann Hunt, and I want you to know that you were always one decision away from a completely different life. Now, I promise you that if you watch the Mindset Playground, it will never be dull or boring. You will laugh, you may cry, but you will leave with a dose of positivity. So today, I have such a fun show for you, and I'm so excited! I have a good friend of mine who's going to join me on the playground shortly, and her name is Crystal Cotto Sullivan. She is a wisdomologist, which is kind of cool. So as a wisdomologist, she works with women to uncover their wisdom and discover their limiting beliefs and guide them on their journey to awareness. As they discover their magic and tap into their inner wisdom, they can become more aware of the multitude of opportunities and invitations that surround them. So I'm going to ask Crystal to join me on the playground and we're gonna find out more about her. Hi, Crystal.
1: Hi, Luann,
3: thank you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, it's fun to be here. I'm ready to play. I know, on the playground, isn't that great? I love that. It's it's cool, very cool. Well, you being a wisdomologist is pretty cool. So let's talk about that real quick. What in the world is a wisdomologist? Well, it's interesting how
1: it came up. Um, I My coach, uh, Kimberly Banfield, it, coined her uh, role as a soulcologist. And so, you know, we, we were working together, working together. And, you know, wisdom just kept popping up for me. And, uh, you know, as as we age, hopefully we gain some wisdom. Although I do think that, you know, children are born with some innate wisdom, but we we teach it out of them. And so I thought, well, wisdomologist, it just kind of surfaced for me. And I thought, okay, if it's surfacing for me, how about if I help women with wisdom, get their wisdom out? And because sometimes, you know, we're always second guessing ourselves and we don't trust our inner wisdom. And so I coined Wisdomologist.
3: Well, I think it's fantastic. And I love (laughs) the name. And there's so many people who were asking me when I posted it, they were asking me, what is a Wisdomologist? And they were tuning in so that they could find out firsthand what it was. Yeah. So you've had quite the exciting life. I mean, you spent six years living in Zambia. Zambia, Mm -hmm. is that how you say it? Yeah. yeah. And while there you were teaching with your husband, as well um, as working in development education and retreats, my favorite thing in the whole wide world. And this is throughout Africa. And of course, you traveled to 35 countries around the world. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Pretty awesome. You're quite the traveler. Yeah. You're the world traveler. (laughs) so what started that whole section of your life
1: well um i mean this has gone pretty far back it went in terms of how it all started um when i was in university i was doing a math degree at waterloo and um it, you know it was pretty heady uh and i was taking a psychology course as an elective and um I'm not even sure how it came about. But in the 70s, there was something called encounter groups. And so I thought, Oh, well, that sounds really interesting. And it was very interesting, because it was really uh, one of the first times that I began to delve into who I really am. Um, And I met some amazing people, in fact, made a friend in Japan, and we ended up spending some time with her family. But Anyway, back to my story. So um, I really suddenly became more interested in personal growth and also on a spiritual level as well. So I finished my math degree and then I went on to study theology. Um, And while I was studying theology, I ran across some guys who were studying who had schools in Africa. And my husband and I had just been married and um, we were both interested in Africa. He had been once. And so We thought well let's go but we wanted to be in canada for a year in order to really establish our relationship so these guys there was a big postal strike so we couldn't even write and apply for anything but these these men had um a a center in buffalo so they would go every weekend so they would they brought our applications six weeks later we got jobs teaching uh in zambia and off we went And so um, then just before we went, this was kind of the start of, well, not the start because there were some other things that happened. There was a major retreat that I did when I was in university that also really kind of shifted my self-awareness. So just before we went off to Africa, we we did a a seven-day silent retreat. And it was during that time that I learned about the awareness exercise. And that has been something that I have used all of my life now for decades, as well as taught to other people, whether clients or in retreats or workshops, as really a tool for growth. Really? Yeah. So I then, can't then even then we'll imagine.
3: Start. I can't even imagine being quiet for seven days.
1: Well, I'll tell <laughs> you, it wasn't easy. It was like, uh, there were a couple of days I was just like, mm, um, would you pass the, uh, the potatoes, please? <laughs> I, was like, I just had to talk to somebody. And, and I was in my 20s, so it was not an easy thing. But I really learned the value of silence at that point. But I also learned the value of interaction as well. So it wasn't just the being quiet. It was, okay, when I am speaking, um, it, it, is it just nonsense? Or am I really speaking from my heart? Ah, oh,
3: that's yeah,
1: cool. Yeah. 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 Because, you know, like sometimes we just blah, 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 blah. And it's like,
3: it's like, what what am I saying? It's like garbled. So it's, it's like, it's like having a word count every day and you have to like reach that word count. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's always different for women than men. The word count that is.
1: Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Anyway, so that, that was kind of, that was kind of the beginning. And then we ended up um, teaching in, in Zambia and that was, that was amazing. And during that time, um, I was working with um, obviously secondary school students. I was teaching, but also doing some retreat work and, um, you know, started a family. Both of our children were born over there. And, um, but but all of that time I was uh, involved with, um, retreat work and spiritual direction and guidance and that type of thing. And, and then we came back to Canada. Actually, we came back in between the six years. I finished a a master's and then we went back, um, for an almost three years. And then again, we came home and settled in Windsor and then, um, you know, a lot of different things. I came from, I come from a family of, uh, of addicts, alcohol, drugs, gamblers, you name it. Someone in my family probably has the addiction. And so in those early years back home, my dad had stopped drinking when, um, when my daughter was born about maybe three or four months before she was born. So I was really excited because I thought, oh my goodness, now our family is going to be healthy well, surprise, surprise, you know, being part of the dysfunctional system I needed to do some work on myself, and that that was that was just kind of a wake up call for me. So I I began to to delve into um, adult children of alcoholics, codependency, all of that that work to really heal my own um, self in terms of coming from an alcoholic family. And of course, my dad was in great form; he was going to AA. My mom was going to um, the support group, so for them life had really evened out, but the rest of us, we had to do our work as well. So that was kind of the beginning of that phase of, of work that I did and, you know, seeing a therapist and doing all of that work that was necessary to heal all of the, um, the, the addiction stuff that went on in my life.
3: Yeah. Cause I'm sure that as you know, children of addiction, or anybody who's around the addiction not just the children but everybody who's around the addiction and nowadays mm. just coming off the pandemic i'm sure that you know you're aware or you know of a lot of people who are suffering silently and even though it is talked about openly nowadays it wasn't really talked about that much back then
1: no and it wasn't no. Yeah. It, it, it was, you know, people, there was a lot of denial about it. I remember, um, you know, friends of my dad saying, Oh no, no, he's not an alcoholic. How can he be an alcoholic? But, you know, we often say that when someone is changing their life and it threatens our sense of who we are, you know, it's when someone, someone's relationship splits up, people are like te- terrified because it's like a mirror. It's like, Oh no, now I have to look at myself. And I think that, uh, I know that, that, that has ha that happened when my dad was going through recovery, but you know, he was, he was sober for like 40 years and went to AA for 40 years. And it was amazing for him. Maybe it wasn't 40 years, but it was a long, long time until he died anyway. (laughs) And My brother is, is the same. He has continued over decades to, to, uh, go to AA. So. It's a, a real um, testament to our family in terms of the healing that has gone on. And, but also that we've had to do our work uh, at the same time. So, yeah.
3: I just find that so interesting. And that's why I love talking to you about this stuff. It's just unbelievable how you look at these transformations and you can help us understand them and help us, you know, put them into perspective the mm-hmm. way that they should be so that you can basically help us understand what's going on
1: well and it's interesting transitions are so um they're always going on and and one of the things that um is really important in thinking about transitions is to really be aware of the cycles that we go through and i always start when i work with people is just kind of look at your daily cycle because some people are early birds and some people are night owls and it's good to know that even in terms of how you structure your day and how you structure your energy. Then it, when you look at the week, some people get their energy Monday morning and some people get their energy Thursday evening because they think, oh my God, it's Friday. So there's a weekly cycle. Then of course, there is the monthly cycle. And for women, it's, it's easier because we menstruate. So we, we naturally have that moon cycle, but men also have a cycle. And to just notice, what is my monthly cycle? And then the year, you know, I've been in academia, whether I was a student or a teacher, professor, whatever for for decades. So the school year just like gears me up. September comes like, oh, it's September. I'm not even conscious of it, but it's like it's September. So I have to go out and buy a pen or a pencil case or a notebook because it's like it's it's there's energy for me in September. Of course, there's also energy for me in January because. Of the social energy that's around me, everyone's talking about the new year, so so I pick up that energy. I also get energy around my birthday, and that's another time oh. where I kind of look at my year and say, okay, what has my year been like, and what do I want for my next year? So that's another high point of energy for me. So knowing where our energy is really helps us to structure our, our work and our play and everything else. And then in looking at our lifeline, it's important to look at, um, you might call them chapters, right? But what, what, what are the, what are the, what's the rhythm of your life? My rhythm is about a seven year cycle. And that was revolutionary for me when I did a lifeline and I've done them for years you know, and I don't do them all every year, but every, every once in a while, I just kind of have a sense of, okay, I need to get some perspective. So when I did it probably in my thirties, I realized that I, I go through seven year cycles and how it helped me is that when I started to get restless, when I started to get restless, I thought, okay, I would, am I freezing? No, or am I, I'm good. No, okay. Good. So when I started to get restless, I would, I would just kind of get a little bit oh what's wrong with me but then i realized the restlessness was about coming to the end of a cycle and when i knew that it was like okay let me look at the cycle let me see what i've done what do i still need to do before i can transition out of this cycle whether it was a job or um, a relationship or some project that i was doing i knew i was coming to the end of the cycle and so knowing that relieved me of a lot of stress because I could then Uh, focus on what is the transition and what do I need to do rather than what's wrong with me? Why am I going through this, et cetera, et cetera. So, so knowing what our cycles are can really help us in our transitions, even, even whether it's a daily transition, you know, some people lose energy in the afternoon, that's a transition so how do I manage that energy? Having, you know, a coffee and a, a chocolate bar isn't necessarily going to manage that transition, but maybe going for a walk is going to manage the transition. You know, that's really a simple right. kind of thing. But then, you know, a yearly cycle, some people have a really hard time in the winter. How do they manage that transition from season to season so that they they keep their momentum and, the, and or, or honor, honor, that lower energy. One of the things I recently discovered, Luann, is the um, human design experiment. And there are four different uh, personality types. And my particular personality type is a projector. And that particular type, my energy goes way up and then it goes down. Now, when my energy is way up, I can do a week's work in a day. Like, uh, I am like a machine. I can get so much done. You know, for example, this morning I did three blogs. I wrote three blogs and just boom. Now, when my energy is low, don't even think I could write a sentence. But I have to honor that. My energy, when it's low, I have to do things to take care of that energy and to take care of myself because I know my energy is going to shoot up and I'm going to have that high energy. And I know I I want to get things done and I will. So so there are a lot of different tools that will help us to understand our our personality, our energy, our life cycle, all of those things. And then the more aware we are, the more capable we are of really um, grabbing onto our magic or our genius is another word for magic.
3: That's so true. That That's very true. And as you're speaking, I'm in, of course, in my head, Saying, well, let's see. I'm an early bird. I I mm-hmm. always wake up early in the morning. That's when I have my most energy. And mm-hmm. nighttime, I have to watch what I schedule in the evening. You yep. know, so many things get scheduled in the evening because they think people are home from work. And I find it very difficult to say, you know, log on to a webinar or watch a webinar or do anything like that. In fact, sometimes I'll be on zoom and I'll be like falling asleep and That's not true. because it's not because they're boring me. It's just, it's just, I just don't have the energy That's and it. you know, it's so true. And, but if they were to hold a webinar, like at six in the morning, I'd be, I'd be there ready to go. Absolutely. taking notes and- <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you know, yeah. I, have some, I have some clients like
1: that, like early morning is the best time for them to do, to do that kind of work. And I have others, um, you know, I'm working with a woman right now who, uh, we have a workshop going and she's in Ireland and 11 o'clock at night, no problem at all. Now, I would be like you at 11 o'clock at night. I would just be snoozing. Like there is no yeah. way that I would be able to be there at 11 o'clock. So, but again, when you know that, and you know your peak times, it's just, right. it's really helpful. And and I think today with so many people working from home, which I think is brilliant, I think that there, we have more ability than to work with our energy. So if you have, you know, your energy is going down, then do some, go for a walk. You can go out and go for a walk. Of course you can do that if you're in a physical office as well, if you're at work per se, you can always go for a walk, do some exercises, do something to, to get your energy up again, or just take a break.
3: Yeah. 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 One of the so things, true.
1: Yeah, one of the things that was interesting about the pandemic and people working at home um, that I noticed is that people did have a difficult time um, taking breaks and managing their time because they were sitting at their desk and so they would zoom, 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 zoom all day without a break. So they didn't structure their time in a way that it would have been at the office where there might've been an interruption, a phone call came in, or someone came to the office door, or they could go out and grab a coffee down the street. So they had, you know, maybe a 10 minute walk. Well, you know, if you've got your, your, your kitchen is, you know, two minutes away from your office at home, you're not going to take those kinds of breaks. And so, so as much as it was a great thing, And continues to be a great thing to work at home. For many people, it was very stressful because they didn't know how to manage um, their time. Yeah. And they and they weren't really honoring their own um, you know, internal circadian rhythm. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I found when I was working at home I had to do it in time blocks because if I didn't do it in time blocks, and what I mean by that is I set a timer. So say I have a lot that's on my to-do list that has to get done. Mm-hmm. Then all I would do is just say that I'm just going to work on it for 25 minutes. Perfect. That's it. Perfect. So I would set my alarm and after 25 minutes, that's it. I would get up. I would stop. Even though, you know, it's very difficult to stop when you're, when you're on a roll, right? Yes. yes. But I would still stop and i would get up and i would work on the next thing when i came back after like 5 10 minutes Good just work on the next thing on my list and do the Good same
1: yeah perfect perfect yeah.
3: yeah it's so important you're right to take that yeah. time that's right and we just don't we just nope, don't we don't and and timers
1: are great i mean you know cuz you can have it on your 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 uh, phone right beside you now i have to say i i kind of ignore that when i'm out in the garden i just kind of <laughs>
3: Girl. And then my husband has to come and pick me up.
1: <laughs> so I
3: love yeah. to be there, so. <laughs> Yeah, what I'm talking about is like desk work. When it comes oh, to yard I, work, oh yeah, no. I, totally I, desk work.
1: I do the same thing. I I I have a timer, and um, I will get up and I'll go get myself a new cup of tea, or I'll just do something completely different, and it makes all the difference. It just somehow clears my head, and I'm able to then refocus. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Sometimes if I'm working on a big project, I actually have to take a break and take a nap. Now I'm a napper.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
3: I've always been a napper.
1: It's interesting because as a projector, projectors are nappers. We have to recline periodically just to get our energy back because we tend to pick up energy from everywhere. And so, so taking that, I'm the same. I will take a nap or I'll just, kind of, I'll just lie down or I'll read a book lying down just so that it's just kind of my energy flows through me. So it'd be really interesting to know what your human design personality is. I'd love to do that. We'll talk oh, about yeah. that.
3: <laughs> we'll definitely have to talk about that. <laughs> That's quite interesting. I know mm-hmm. all these things are going in my head. So can we just back up for a second? When you were working in um, across the globe, Did you really notice the difference in the personalities and the people in general? Like, I'm sure there's, you know, the obvious differences, the fact that, you know, where they're from, where they're living, but did you really notice a difference in the personalities and the types of people maybe based on how they grew up? Do Do you really notice a difference? No i mean people are
1: people you know the the one thing i did notice that was really a um um, interesting for me was noticing as a north american my privilege compared to the kids that i taught who you know lived in one room houses um very simple you know they had two uniforms and that was all, of course they had their, their other clothes for, for, for outside of school. But I I just, that was a real shock for me of noticing. um, And I can still, I can just, I can even see that the moment when it it just struck me and I just started to cry because I thought, Oh my goodness, I can leave this situation. And it was a, it was a time in Zambia where there were shortages. The, the, some of the borders were closed. Um there we couldn't get a lot of stuff, but I could leave, and they could, yes. and so i thought wow that that was that was a real eye opener for me, but in terms of personalities, I mean, I think people are people they were very uh wonderful, happy people, and you know they they had the same kinds of problems that we did with relationships with work with children, whatever. Um, the one thing was the extended family was stronger there than it is in North America. We, we well, we tend to talk about it as the nuclear family, and and there was more of a intergenerational families living together. I think we're kind of moving more towards that because we see that just isolating as families isn't necessarily the best way to live. But time will tell. Interesting. We need to go to commercial.
3: And uh, we're going to take a commercial break. So when we come back, let's talk some more about your travels. All right. So you're watching the Mindset Playground and I am your host, Luann Hunt. Don't go away. We'll be
2: right back. What if there were a super tiny device that could diagnose the brain and is smaller than a single human hair? What if you could see inside the brain to help an epilepsy patient during surgery or to help the fight against Parkinson's disease? Dr. Patricia Broderick is proud to announce the Broderick Probe, a biomedical and electronic breakthrough. Imagine a probe to help with the understanding and potential cure of brain relaxation. Diseases. To learn more, listen live to the Easy Sense Radio Show with host Dr. Broderick, Wednesdays 7 p.m. Eastern on the Bold Brave Media Network and TuneIn Radio. And to help support the Broderick Foundation, please go to EasySense.com and learn how. With your help, we can fight these horrific brain disorders. That's EasySense.com to learn more and help support the Broderick Foundation Hawkins says that the best athletes get to the top of their sport with the help of coaches, mentors, and others. He shares guidance that helps readers reflect on what motivates them discover and assess their core values, philosophies, and competencies, find settings that allow them to be the most productive, and track their progress towards accomplishing goals. Listen to John Hawkins' My Strategy, Saturdays, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the BBM Global Network and Tune In Radio.
3: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Mindset Playground. I'm your host, Louanne Hunt, and today I'm on the playground with Crystal my friend who is a wisdomologist and she's giving us some great point pointers and tips about your energy and the best time to use your energy and to basically plan your life around your energy, which is a good thing that I think we all need to do. So welcome back, Crystal. So we were just talking about um, the life cycle basically. And that kind of leads us to uh, your podcast, because I've been a guest on your podcast, which I'm yeah. excited about, yeah. and now you're a guest online. So that's great. And if you are listening to the podcast for this, for this show, you're listening to it on boldbravetalk.com. So let's talk about your podcast.
1: Okay. So uh, I, there's a little bit of a history to the podcast because at the beginning of the pandemic, um, my friend Rosemary Skinner had asked myself and my husband to do some workshops in, in her, uh, her studio. And she'd asked maybe beginning of 2019 and we just, we all got busy. And so we just didn't do it. So pandemic began and Rosemary called me and said, do you want to do something online? And this was like, I think it was like, April, the lockdown had just occurred. And I said, okay, yeah, let's do something. So she and John and I put our heads together. And we came up with um, Soiree Lifestyle Series 2020. And we talked about entertainment, lifestyle and relationships. And so Rosemary said, well, when should we start? I said, let's start next week. (laughs) So We just started, we jumped right in. And our, our fourth host then joined us, Cynthia Cross Ballard. And she was kind of our technical person because uh, we had no idea how to (laughs) do a live Facebook on Zoom. We had no idea. But, you know, we learned. In fact, a funny story, our very first uh, webcast, um, we had guests talking about the pandemic. So we had a doctor. We actually had, because Rosemary is in the... um, um, uh, planning, uh, event planning business, she, she had a lot of events just canceled. So she had a a minister, she had a caterer, she had people who are involved in that, that industry to talk to, particularly uh, people who are going to be married, about how do you go about dealing with cancellations, et cetera, et cetera. Plus the doctor was going to talk about the pandemic. Well, we were on and all of a sudden the doctor hit share and there's this and it wasn't his turn to talk and there was this big screen of COVID and we're like oh my god where'd that come from and we didn't know how to shut it off so we're sending him messages in the chat and trying to get it off eventually I figured out if I hit the button I could stop him from sharing but that was like 10 minutes on and you know we're having this conversation (laughs)
3: talking
1: and we're trying to get rid of this, pretending it was like, everything's okay. So that was, that was a funny start, but every, every webcast we did 62 of them, we would learn something new, but we also had great guests and we had. um you know, the the Tourist Bureau in to talk about different things that people could do during the pandemic. We had chefs in demonstrating what people could do for holidays we had so many different things. We had, uh, actually we had Harville Hendricks and Helen La Kelly hunt in who had been on Oprah many times and they were our guests as well. So we had so much fun doing that. Well, then at the end of 2021, it seemed like life was getting back to normal and, and other people were kind of picking up on what we were doing We thought, Okay. I think we've lived our life. So we, we ended it. So that was in the summer. And, and and then it was in December. I thought, oh, I think I'm going to do a podcast because I was really working on um, putting the wisdomology journey to inner wisdom together. And I thought, okay, what if I just do a podcast? And in my workshops, I I often do a, a Venn diagram and I base it on awareness, beliefs and curiosity. And so I thought, oh, that's like ABC. Let me do the ABCs of inner wisdom. So that's how I started. So I just started to go through the alphabet and I did each, uh, every two weeks I would do a, a, a letter and, you know, at some point they, they got out of out of order, but that's that kind of kept me on track for the first months anyway. So I think I've done about 32 episodes now and I will go until um, June, and then I'll take a break for the summer and then I'll pick up again in September and see what I do. So,
3: wow, that's great.
1: Yeah. 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 So that's,
3: yeah, that's this one too. I mean, you know, every week there's something different or because you're relying on technology, you know, we've had all kinds of, uh, technical things that have happened and, but You know, that's that's just the way it is, I guess. You just got to roll with the punches and, you know, realize that you're on live TV.
0: And I really do
3: think that people appreciate, I think it comes down to people appreciating that you're just kind of human on these, you know, broadcast podcasts. And I think that they would rather listen to somebody who's down to earth than somebody who is, you know. I don't know. I don't even know to what to compare it to, but somebody who's, I guess, mechanical or not really, <laughs> not really giving them what you know they're looking for. I think people can relate to right. down-to-earth people.
1: I like to and think you- about uh, Jen Sade's book, um, "The Ordinary Extraordinary Woman." I think you know we're just ordinary people, but every one of us is extraordinary in our own way, and I think right. that's. A- remember and it's recognizing the extraordinariness in the ordinary it's like you know we just go about our lives but there's magic there and it's and it's really being present to the magic of each person
3: yeah yeah you're right and the other thing too is you know maybe maybe this podcast or this this broadcast is not right for everybody but you know, there's at least one person out there who will get one golden nugget and say, wow, I never thought of that. Or, you know, and that's what the whole purpose of this broadcast was for me. So I'm sure you had a purpose as well. And that's my purpose is, you know, if, if one person can benefit somehow from hearing this, then, you know, or seeing this, then that's that's what I really want to focus
0: on. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I think, um, having taught and, and you've taught, you know, that in the classroom, you know, you might have 60 students, but if there's even one that comes up and their life has been changed by the interaction, it's, it just makes it worth it. I mean, you would hope it everybody would be impacted, but they're not, you know, they're not, but it's, it's, that one life that you can change. That's so important and so significant.
3: Yeah. And sometimes you don't even know that you've changed that life until down the road. I'll get out of the blue, I'll get an email or I'll get a message from one of those students who say, you know, I'm in the working world now and I got, you know, this new job that I really wanted and I just want you to know it's because of what you taught us in class or something mm-hmm. to that effect. Mm-hmm. I had a student 10 years later who sent a pin, a teacher's pin, it was beautiful, from, cool. BC, from BC to the college and asked that it get sent or that it get given to me because they didn't know if I was still teaching or what but it was just so nice to show up. And, you know, there was this beautiful gift and a beautiful card saying, you know, I think of you often and here's a gift. And that's that's 10 years later.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have a great story. Not about me, but my daughter, when she, um, when she finished high school, she did a program where she she spent six months in Ghana and the first three months were just, preparation and they were there were a group of them going over and um team building as well as fundraising. So they went over and she was in a small village and, you know, she was nineteen I think and she's teaching English. So there were these twelve year olds that she was teaching and, and she did a great job. But she was thinking, okay, who am I teaching English? But just last fall she was contacted by one of these man. He's now a man. He was 12 years old then. I think he's 35 now, maybe 33. He he contacted her because he's doing a PhD in Syracuse and he so badly wanted to connect with her. So it didn't, it, it, it was kind of hit and miss. Finally, my husband and I were up in Ottawa when he visited. He was so grateful for her teaching for the six months because he said, I would never have gone on to um, university without that much English, that's six months of an English speaking person teaching him. And, and I just thought she would never have known that she, because she was singing. okay, you know, I'm just, I'm just teaching English here. And she was teaching math and I mean, and, and then, so she pulled out the pictures and they were looking at pictures and he was so grateful to her. It was, it was so wonderful. And she was just kind of like, know really excited to learn the impact that she had on these people and they had an incredible impact on her so it was it was not a one-way relationship whatsoever it really um she really matured over that six months i think living in another country and realizing you know coming from canada what what a privilege that is um it, it was really a great experience for her, but it was a wonderful reunion for him to, uh, to connect. So we're hoping to see him again this summer.
3: Oh, that's a great story. That's wonderful. So let's talk about your journey.
1: Okay. More yeah. of my journey.
3: So tell us a little bit about your own journey through this whole process. I mean, this has been great and you're telling us, you know, some of the things that we can look out for in ourselves, but let's talk about you. Well,
1: let's see, there've been so many different things that have impacted who I am now. Um, certainly my, my time in, um, Zambia, um, having children, um, the, one of the more other significant moments in my life on the journey was uh, 14 years into my marriage, it fell apart and I left. I'd been doing a lot of um, therapy, counseling uh, for myself. I'd seen a therapist and gone to workshops, done all kinds of work. But because um, I came from an alcoholic family, if something broke down in the relationship, it was often my fault because I came from the family that was not healthy or whole. So I just got tired of that, so I left, and um, we
3: were apart. Well, let's let's hold that thought. I'm sorry. Let's hold that thought. We're gonna we're gonna go to commercial, and then when okay. we come back, please, please let's pick up where we left off. Okay? I'm sorry remember. about that. Yep. <laughs> So you're watching the Mindset Playground. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we will be back shortly after this brief message.
2: Did you know that your beliefs create your entire reality? But it's the subconscious beliefs that do most of the creating. Belief Shifter and Life Coach Shiraz can help you identify those limiting beliefs and eliminate them, often in a single session.
3: Like it was almost instant. Like I had... Relief right away.
2: Creating better health, relationships, careers, and finances. Let Shiraz help you step out of safety and into awareness.
3: Definitely something's happening. Uh,
1: it's like a, a flow inside. You know, it feels good.
2: Whether in person or online, Shiraz provides personal coaching, belief shifting. Visit Shiraz at energeticmagic.com or call 416 529 7429. Energetic Magic on the BBM Global Network, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Find your greater happiness. Be well. Be aware. Be magical.
3: Hey, everyone. We're back. Sorry about that quick interruption. Uh, We had Crystal telling us a great story. We were right in the middle of the story. We were like hanging on the edge, trying to find out what happened next, and then we had to take a break. So, Crystal, without further ado... (laughs) So, so we were separated
1: for nine months and, um, it was actually, it was probably six months in, I was at a a conference in Toronto, adult children of alcoholics and Sharon Wegscheider Cruz was doing the presentation. And, um, she said that if there was even like a thread of love left in the relationship, you need to go back and look at it. And I did, I didn't hear anything else after that my girlfriend was sitting beside me. I said, I have to go home. So I think we were only halfway through. We went home and I contacted John. I said, okay, we need to figure this out. And I said, I, I'm, I'm really not interested in getting back together, but I am interested in in finding out what went wrong. So I had been reading the book, Getting the Love You Want by Harville Hendricks. And had I read it six months before, I would have probably burnt it because he said, you know unless the, there's abuse in the relationship it, they all relationships should work if you do the work needed because because we're often the perfect match but the perfect match means that there's going to be conflict and there's going to be power struggle so you have to learn how to work with that so we started to go to therapy marriage counseling and then we ended up in Chicago with Harville and um just, we learned, we learned some tools that we continue to use today and it turned the relationship around six weeks later, we were back together and we've been back together. I mean, we'll be married how long, 40 years this year. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for me, that was really a turning point in terms of self-awareness and okay. relational awareness and, um, needing to, continue to, to work on the relationship and on myself. So, um, you know, there were many things that came into play as well. You know, over the years we did the Enneagram as a family. I, John and I did it. I did it first, then John, and then the whole family did it. So that became a tool to understand our personalities. Um, I, I work with the Myers-Briggs. Um, I, I, so many different things that helped us to understand one another. And, you know, we can laugh about things now that before would have been, you know, cutthroat arguments, but um, that was a real critical moment for me. Another another um, transition for me that continues to, to be a, a pain that I carry is that my son has schizophrenia and he had his psychotic break when he was 20. So it was my 50th birthday. And that has, that has been very difficult to really learn how to detach from what I expected him to be and let him live how he's chosen to be. Um, not that he's chosen schizophrenia, but he's also chosen a lifestyle that um, is, is, it's a rough, it's a rough lifestyle. He lives rough. I mean, he's a, he's homeless from time to time. And so I've had to really let go of my own expectations around him and um, realize that I'm not God. So I don't know what his life plan is, that maybe this is his life plan. I mean, he is named Francis after St. Francis of Assisi, who was, you know, really lived rough as well. So um, so that's been that has been an ongoing up and down for me and for John and in our relationship. But um, I think you know, we have come to um, a point where we love him, but we we're able to separate. There's not a a codependent relationship going on there, which I think often happens when someone is suffering from mental illness. So it's knowing the difference between giving them the support that they need, but not but not um, becoming their caretaker or thinking that you, we know more about what they need than they, they know. Sometimes we do, but then it's knowing the difference between that. So that's been, um, that's been a, an interesting, difficult, painful chapter in my life for sure. Yeah. For and so sure. being aware of my own um, emotions and my own state of mind has been very important in terms of how I, how then I manage my life and how I move through my life and how I express myself as well and how I'm present to other people.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I'm sure the background that you've had helps a lot, <laughs> you know, as far as traveling and, and mm-hmm. learning from other countries and yes. So I'm sure that's definitely opened you up. Mm to Mm. learning a lot of other things. Wow. So what have been some of the moments in your life besides that, that uh, when you've experienced a big transformation and you know that life would never have been the same again?
1: Um, I think that um, when I was, I think I was um, just late 30s, I went back and did a master's in counseling psychology. That was pretty significant um, in terms of What I wanted to do was because I had a a theology degree, I had a math degree. I wanted to integrate the spirituality and the um, psychology. And so I went back um, to the Adler School of Professional Psychology and did a master's. And that was that was really significant because one of the one of the big things about Adlerian psychology is um, limiting beliefs. And um, Adler would talk about it as um, mistaken logic. And because our beliefs are formed when we're children, um, because we're trying to figure out, okay, how do I maneuver in this world? I'm a little person. How do I manage this? How do I get my needs met? And so we come to certain conclusions about life. They become unconscious. But the thing is, is we carry those beliefs into adulthood and suddenly Mm -hmm. we're big people in a big world, but we have little beliefs. And so it was really a turning point for me to really uncover some of my own beliefs and some of my, um, uh, the way that I operated in the world and how they came from some of those early beliefs that I had. And so, so that was, that was a real shift for me in terms of understanding myself, but then being able to work with other people to uncover those limiting beliefs and that mistaken logic, you know, I always think about it as, you know, we have a map that we create as kids and it's a map of Windsor and then we're adults and we're looking at this map, but we're really over in Detroit. It's like, Oh my God, this map's not working anymore. I need to change this map. And I think what, and it was a revelation for me. What we don't realize is that we created our belief system. We can recreate it. We can create new beliefs and let go of those beliefs that just don't work for us anymore. And there are so many layers as there are those childhood beliefs, those, those, that mistaken logic, but then there are all of the beliefs on top of that, that come from family, from school, from, from church, from, from society, from our culture, all of those are stacked up in our unconscious and we just operate out of them automatically, which is why awareness is important is to kind of pull those out and look at them and say, okay, does this still serve me? And pull again and say, does this still serve me? If it doesn't, let me just put that aside and create something new that's going to work for me.
3: Right. I find myself having to do that as well, where, you know, I'll think I'll just out of the blue, I'll think of something that I said or something that I did Mm -hmm. in my past, or I'm going to say when I was younger. And, you know, sometimes I really have to put it into perspective because I'll be, kind of focusing on it and i'll say why did i say that why did i do that i wish i could do it over but then i realize that most people <laughs> and this is a good thing most people won't remember what you said to them right they won't they won't remember no. what you said they won't remember what what you did heck no. they probably won't even remember you know your eye color or your hair color really you right know, but, until they see you, you again
1: want, but what you want to pay attention to is if what you said isn't consistent with what you're doing for yourself not about what other people are perceiving but for yourself you have to pause and say okay wait a minute does that fit for me so right. here's an example when i one of the things that i uncovered when i was um doing my degree was that when i was in grade 3 i um had to do this little essay i didn't know what an essay was i was in grade three so i did it it was like a sentence the teacher announced the marks in the class and i got zero and he announced this and i can remember just going red and sweating if you can sweat when you're in grade three and i concluded at that moment that i was stupid and that became part of my belief system and i realized over when I was doing my degree and we had to do some therapy and work through these beliefs, I realized that I had been trying to prove all my life that I was smart. Right. And I, didn't, I didn't have to prove it. Cause I'm smart, but it was like, uh, well, and then, you know, when people would say something or there was an award or there was something, some recognition, it would be like, well, that can't be right. Cause I'm stupid. So once I was able to pull that out and look at it and say, oh, that just doesn't work anymore. And it's not even true, but I didn't know it was there. So it's like pulling those beliefs out and saying, oh, well, that's not working for me anymore. What can I put in its place? Or what is, what is the truth for me right now that, that Mm -hmm. I can live? And so making that shift, one of the things it did is it kind of relieved me from being so, um, dogged in my search for knowledge, nothing wrong with search for knowledge, but it was so intense at times. I just, it was, I couldn't get enough. I couldn't get enough. You know, like I have, I've started two PhDs and stopped because I I didn't need to go on, but initially it was like, okay, I need to do this, but I didn't need to you know, and recognizing that it wasn't about being smart. It was about, I I enjoy the process now, but I don't have to prove anything. Makes sense.
3: Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. And that's why I started the work that I did with Jack Canfield. And, you know, I said to somebody the other day that the main reason why I started it was for my self-esteem. Yeah. Yeah. People were like, what? You know, you're so outgoing. You have a great self-esteem. I'm like, oh, yeah, I fake it, (laughs) you know? Well,
1: that's what our personality does. We create a personality. It's a mask. Persona means mask, pardon me. And so we can hide behind that mask. So people, they see what we want them to see. And then it's getting behind the mask so that because we forget who we are behind the mask we forget yes and so it's getting behind the mask and that's where all these different tools like the enneagram the human design the myers-briggs awareness exercise all of these things you know busting the belief limiting beliefs gets us behind the mask we're not going to get rid of the mask we actually have many masks it's like the archetypes we've got all these archetypes that we can just kind of pull on whenever we need them But it's going behind so that we get to our authentic self.
3: Yes. Yeah. Crystal, this has been such a great time on the playground with you today. (laughs) I've loved every minute of it. And I know that you and I, oh, we've talked so many times and we can talk for hours. I know. This show isn't like four hours long but I do look forward to speaking with you again, really soon. I want to say thank you to everybody who's tuned in today and, uh, your information will be up on the uh, YouTube underneath the YouTube channel with your interview. And we'll definitely get those links out to everyone. So thank you so much for showing up on the playground. Thank you. And to everybody who watched my show today, thank you so much. I know that you have a choice and you choose to watch our show. So I really appreciate you. And we'll be back next week, same time, 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time for another edition of the Mindset Playground. You're watching the Mindset Playground on Bold Brave TV. You're listening on BoldBraveTalk.com. And I appreciate you. So until I see you again, namaste.
2: This has been the Mindset Playground with host Luann Hunt. Tune in each week for another daily dose of positivity right here on the Mindset Playground. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?